You're listening to audio from Church of the Incarnation. To donate to our ministry or find out more, please visit incarnationcfl.com. All right, well, it's great to be with you this morning and entering into a second week of a sermon series on the book of Hebrews. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Hebrews this morning. We're going to be in chapter 4. And the title of this series is Jesus, a better hope and a steadfast anchor. And the words we just read from Hebrews this morning um, are very hopeful words, I think. Written to very tired people. Just people who are worn out. Can anyone relate to that? I mean, it, I'm a parent. I got a 13-year-old. Woo! Right? She's awesome, too, by the way. But boy. Oh, she's walking out. There she goes, right? Yeah. She's amazing. It's hard to be a parent. I read, I read statistically, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to gain a little pity for myself here, that the age I'm in right now, mid-40s, are the least happy years of your life. Did you know that? Like, people, people look at the happiness scale, which is so sad because these are the years when my precious kids are with me, right? But it's the years you're the most overworked, right? You're scheming and dreaming for your life. you got absolutely no time because did you know the average American parent spends 1.7 hours a week driving their kids to activities? It's just, yes, it's, it's unbelievable. There's a Bureau of Time Management. The government keeps up with these statistics. It's true. So look at me. I'm doing all right for being the least happy years of my life, right? I got a smile on my face. But um, hey, Jesus, a better hope and a steadfast anchor. And, and what we're going to see this morning is, is a promise of rest. Rest. And that's good news for tired people. It's good news for worn out people. And if you're feeling tired and you're feeling worn out, I I want to encourage you that you're not alone. You're not the first human to feel that way. And in some sort of sick way, be encouraged by this, it could be worse. I mean, if if you understand the background behind the writing of this book, it was worse for the Hebrews. I mean, they weren't worn out because they'd committed to too many extracurricular activities for their children. That's my problem. I did this to myself, right? Um... They were worn out because they were facing death because of their commitment to this Jesus who offers rest. They're worn out because the emperor of the Roman Empire at the time, Nero, was sending them to untimely graves, persecuting them to the point where Tacitus, a first century historian who's living during this time, tells us that he would literally light them on fire in public display. And we get these beautiful words, and I just want you to hear them. I want you to hear them for where you're at. I want you to believe it. And I want to be encouraged by it. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. That's a promise. That's the promise of hope this morning. Extend it to them and to you. Rest. And I just want you to grasp that moment, grasp this word for a moment, and think about it, that God has planned for you a place of rest, and he's ushering you into it, if you will let him. Forever rest, rest from toil, that's a part of the curse of the fall, you know, not work. I think there's going to be work in heaven. I think there's going to be creativity in heaven. I think God's going to say, hey, take that tree, cut it down, make an awesome boat out of it, sail it forever, all right? 
There's going to be work in heaven. There was work in the garden. Adam and Eve had stuff to do, but there wasn't toil. You know, that the weeds just keep coming up and I can't stop it. Every time I pluck one, there's ten more. That's toil. And God's taking you into a place of forever rest from that. Rest from pain, physical pain, emotional pain. Rest from heartache. Rest from the consequences of your own bad decisions. Anyone want to come up and testify to that one? Right? And that's good news if you'll believe it. Let's keep reading. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 2, for indeed the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Look, the them in this passage are the Israelites in the Old Testament. Okay, the, the them in this passage are those that came out of the Exodus in 1440 B.C., headed towards a promised land of rest, yet they never got there because they failed to believe that God would deliver them into it. And if you know the story, it's Numbers 13. Numbers 13, the Israelites come out of Exodus, they're in the wilderness, they send spies into the promised land, and the spies come back and they give a really mixed report. They say, it's a glorious and beautiful land. It's better than you could ever imagine. They're holding up produce from the land, big grapes. Look at how awesome this land is that God's giving us. But there's also giants there. Strong cities with many people. And if we're going to take that land, we're going to have to dispossess them. And the people rightly said, the same thing that Peter and the disciples said to Jesus in the gospel today. Lord, we can't do it. Who could be saved? It's impossible for us to do this. God, we can't push these people out of this land. And you know what? They were right. They were right to say, it's impossible, God, for us to enter into the good land that you've promised to us, that you're asking us to hope in through our own efforts. They were right about that. But they were dead wrong about God's willful wonderful and joyful willingness to do what they couldn't do and to bring them into that land through his efforts and not theirs. And, and the failure to trust God to do the impossible caused them to die in the wilderness. So the author says to us this morning, hey guys, lift your hearts Place your hope on the rest that I'm bringing you into, not a promised land, but an eternal rest that you will enter if you believe it. Let's just continue in the text. If you've got your Bible, skip down to verse 6. Since, therefore, it remains open for some to enter it, that's the rest, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he sets a certain day, today, saying, through David, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, and that's the military commander who was to take them into the promised land, then God would not speak about another day. Here's the thing. The promised land rest for the Israelites was a shadow of the true rest of eternity. That's what it was. It was just a symbol of the true rest that God's taking you towards. And there were only two people in that number story who heard the report from the spies who ever saw that promised land? Joshua and Caleb. You go back and read Numbers 13. There were only two people 
who ever got to enter into that promised land, who were there among the Israelites in that day, Joshua and Caleb, because they were the only two who turned their heart to a God who was able to do something for them that they could not do for themselves. And they believed that God would deliver them into that land through his efforts, his glory, and his strength, not theirs. And you guys, that's the good news of salvation. God still is bringing you into his rest, not because of you, but because of him. It's not about you. It's about a God who does the impossible. And that's good news. I mean, if you, you, you continue reading, look at this, this, this passage to scare you, chapter 4, verse 11. Listen to this. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall through such a disobedience as theirs. All the legalists in the room are saying, what's the disobedience that will cause me to fail to enter the rest of God? How many times today have I committed that one? It's not giving 10% to the church. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Thank God that's not true, right? You know what the disobedience is that caused the Israelites to fail to enter God's rest? Unwillingness to believe that God would deliver them into it. The disobedience is unbelief. Now, if you don't believe it, just if you got your Bibles, back up to the last part of Hebrews chapter 3. Listen to this. Now, who were they, speaking of the Israelites, who heard the word yet were rebellious? Was it not those who left Egypt with Moses? But with whom was God angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned in the wilderness? And then the author of Hebrews is going to tell us how they sinned. What was the sin that caused the Israelites to fail to enter God's rest? To whom did God swear would not enter his rest? Was it not those who were disobedient? Well, what was the disobedience? And here it is, the last verse of chapter 3. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief is the sin and disobedience that caused the Israelites to fail to see the rest of God. And I just want to encourage you this morning to take unbelief seriously in your own life we're all worried about sin what sin can I do to cause God to not smile upon me with his favor of goodness right what things have I done that really disappoint him that I need to quit doing well unbelief is a serious one and as much as we care about these three or four sins that we're trying to avoid constantly why don't we start caring about avoiding unbelief like when you get in a place where you're like God I just don't believe that you can deliver me into that beautiful rest I don't believe that you're going to do for me what I can't do for myself just hate that one for a minute as much as you hate that Other stuff you're trying to avoid. It's good news. God, would you cleanse me from every bit of disobedience, of unbelief that just fails to trust you to deliver me into a good land of rest. This passage shifts in a way that I want to talk about just for a minute. There's an interesting shift in the imagery of the rest here. And twice in this passage, um, this word rest is used not to talk about the promised land, not to talk about eternity, but to talk about keeping the Sabbath. And I just want to talk about that just for a minute. If you've got your Bibles, chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. It's very interesting. Listen, so then a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did 
from his. So heaven is compared to a never-ending Sabbath rest where we rest from our labors. So the Sabbath then, think about this, is, is a very tangible way to bring the forever rest of heaven, the eternal and forever and beautiful rest of heaven, into the now of your present life. Anyone want to take God up on that? It becomes a way to regularly bring the deposit of eternal rest into the now of our daily life. But again, the only reason you're going to do that is if you're willing to trust God for it. I mean, it's hard to take a day off. It, it requires a measure of trust to do that. You know uh, the story of the Old Testament. You know that the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, is actually one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment. Like it's something that, like if you guys are into like keeping the rules, God has a rule for you. Keep the Sabbath, right? Uh, he knows you need it. And, and the Israelites were to take a day off every seventh day for 24 hours. They were supposed to chill, put their work down, and turn their hearts towards the Lord who wants them to just enjoy life. And I'm not talking about being at church all day. I'm talking about just enjoying yourself and putting the toil down and stopping your list and your agenda and living into right now what you're going to experience for eternity. A schedule that's free from toil, heartache, and pain in the presence of a beautiful God who wants to enjoy life with you. Like, and so I would just say this. Do you have a vision and version of God who wants to actually have fun with you? I mean, is that the way you think about him? That's the way you should think about him. Like, he, he created fun. All the stuff that you're into. I like to fish. God created fish. I like to fish in the morning when the sun comes up. God created sunrises. Right? I like to fish out in Titusville on salt water. God created salt water. He's into that stuff. And, and what the Sabbath is, please take him up on this, is an opportunity to actually live into right now the deposit of what you're going to experience forever in heaven. To be like, man, I'm going to put my list down. I'm going to stop my toil. I'm going to stop my incessant fear of not having enough. And I'm going to run to God who is enough. And he and I are going to do something we both enjoy. I mean, I really think God's into cycling. I'm going to tell you why. Because he made me, and I'm into cycling. <laughs> he is. And so, I mean, some of my best prayer time is when I'm on my bike, just having fun, just not thinking about anything, but just pedaling harder. And the Lord just opens my heart and just begins to speak to me. And it's just, here it is, it's a sinful person just entering into this presence of a beautiful, perfect God in a way that's free from agenda, toil, stripes, suffering, sadness. I could do that all day. And I regularly do. You know, the Israelites were supposed to take a day off every week. But if you were a farmer, and most of them were in an agrarian society, did you know they were supposed to take a whole year off every seven years? Yes. There was a Sabbath day. The fourth commandment. But if you read Leviticus chapter 25, I'm not going to bore you with that now. Everybody will hit the exits. 
But if you read Leviticus 25, they were supposed to take a whole year off. It was called the Sabbath year of rest. Every seventh year, their field was supposed to lie fallow. They weren't supposed to plant. They weren't supposed to harvest. They weren't supposed to sow. They weren't supposed to reap. They were supposed to just let the land rest. And as the land rests, the farmer rests. But here's the thing. If you're going to do that, you have to trust God to provide for you. Not just that year, but you have to trust him to provide for you the next year when you don't have the crops that you should have sown. You get me? That's not it in the Israelite calendar as well. After seven cycles of that, so every, every seven days they're supposed to rest for 24 hours. Every seven years the land is supposed to rest for an entire year. But every seventh series of seven years was the year of Jubilee, where not only was the land supposed to rest, but everyone was supposed to give all their debts back to the people that they owed it to. All debt was to be forgiven in Israel. All land that had been sold in transaction was to return to the household from which it came. It was a total reset of the entire economy. And the only way that anyone would do that is if they trusted God to provide for them. And what I'm saying to you, and I'm almost done, is that one of the major reasons why people do not take Sabbath today is because we just won't trust God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, to provide for our needs. Often it's the pursuit of wealth, financial wealth, that keeps us from enjoying the rest of God, that he intended for your heart to embrace every seven days. And we would, we'll put that aside because we want to pr- pursue financial wealth. Now think about that. Or it's the maintenance of material wealth that keeps us from enjoying the rest of God. So if I'm not going to take a day off, here's usually why. Because I have some agenda I'm running after because I think it's going to bring me more stuff and money. Or because I've, ho- I've already got a bunch of stuff that needs to be fixed. Right? So, so it's either the pursuit of material wealth or it's the maintenance, no, sorry, the pursuit of financial wealth or the, or the maintenance of material wealth that's going to keep me from the wealth of free time. And I just want you to think about that. I want you to think about wealth in terms of free time. That is like the most un-American thing ever. But I think we need to hear it, that, that when you enter the rest of eternity, you're not going to have a bunch of stuff that you don't need to maintain. And you're not going to have toil. And you're not going to be worried about pursuing finances. You're going to enter a rest in that way. And one of the things that God's blessed us with now is a deposit of that through a Sabbath. And I want to encourage you to take him up on that. And the only way you're going to do it is if you trust him to be for you a better hope than whatever else you choose to run after in that time. Amen. Thanks for listening. Would you like to connect with our church? Join us online or in person every week at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit incarnationcfl.com to learn more. Have a great week.